It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you on this Friday, beginning of a three-day weekend, Memorial Day. Uh, like every other day, it's going to be a little bit different this Memorial Day than any other time. But who better to talk to about that than uh, Admiral James Javidis? He's going to be coming up shortly, talking about the challenges uh, with China taking over Hong Kong. What can we actually do? Uh, getting out of this uh, overflight deal with Russia that we've had since the 1980s. Is that a smart move? General Jack Keane loved it. He just was on with me on television. I don't know what the Admiral is going to say. And then Dave Marcus is going to join us in 10 minutes. He wrote that sensational column that really got my attention and echoed what I believe. And that is we have to open up this country again and we have to open up New York. It was on the cover of the New York Post. They told us it would be 10 days. Then they told it's going to be 20 days. Now it's been two and a half months and they say we'll probably won't do anything till June 15th. Not okay. It's not a matter, I'll stay on the sidewalk, I'll be safe, or I'll cross the road and be in danger. The sidewalk is dangerous. Suicides are up. Domestic abuse is up. Drug abuse is up. The depression uh, quotient is up. And we know if you don't have a job, if you, don't, if you no longer can find employment, if your business has evaporated, unquantifiable worry and sadness go into this. And, can I add, unnecessary. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Unfortunately, the Chinese Communist Party has decided that there's too much freedom in Hong Kong. They don't want to allow them to have their way of life. If China moves forward and takes strong action uh, under this new national security law against the people of Hong Kong, uh, America will respond. How, though? I mean, we're going to go invade China? I would love to be able to somehow let them know what's going to be coming their direction. And it's got to be more than just us when it comes to the danger of China. That's Robert O'Brien. U.S. finds another way to put pressure on China. And it is Taiwan, while their belligerence continues as they threaten to crack down in Hong Kong and are harassing just about everyone in the South China Sea. Number two. Voters trust two different candidates on the two biggest issues of the day. Trust to do a better job on the economy. Voters like Trump. Trust to do a better job handling COVID-19. Voters like Biden, according to a new Fox News poll. Presidential politics. New polls show Biden on top of Trump nationally. And who is best to head the pandemic? He's up there. And health care. He's up, uh, way up there. And against China, which makes no sense to me. Biden on China? Trump is on top when it comes to the economy. What does this tell you months away from the election? And we'll have the latest on the VP sweepstakes. Number one. You have a lot of, uh, unfortunately, in this case, Democrat governors. I think they think it's good politics to keep it closed. They're uh, hurting themselves. They're hurting their state. I think they're being forced to open, frankly. The people want to get out. You'll break the country if you don't. Well, you're right, Mr. President. Resurgence. That's what we are seeing in many states. And it's too slow in so many other states with mostly Democrats in charge. My sense is if Joe Biden was president, they'd be up and running. And which, by the way, shows this behavior is flat out anti-American. New studies show the stunning danger of staying at home. So first things first, this is I'm going to give you some poll stats that show 
how I believe that we should be back at work again, keeping all these standards and the safety uh, protocols in place. I'm not saying ignore it. You want to wear a mask? If the, the scientists now say wear a mask, okay. You want us working one direction in supermarkets? That's just fine. You want us wearing gloves? I'll do that. We just got to get back to work. We got to get back to business. You got to get back to restaurants, hospitality, hotels, travel, sports stores, sports period, youth sports, pro sports. That's what fuels the economy. A Gallup poll shows I'm not in the majority. They found that 65% of people think that they, they are still avoiding public places over the past seven days. That is down from 71% in mid-April. 78% of people said they are avoiding public places, period. A decrease in the percentage of people avoiding small gatherings in the past week, but it's still high, 63%. 84% of people said they were avoiding small gatherings. It was, now it's down to 63. 55% are completely, completely isolating at home. My goodness. And here's why that doesn't keep you safe. Two-thirds of the people in New York, the epicenter, hospitalized with coronavirus, serious, said they were sheltering at home. Don't have a job, not at work. Great. So I sacrifice everything. Many places my business, still waiting mysteriously in New York to open up anything, even though phase one's a joke. Almost nothing opens in phase one. So this is something to keep in mind. The CDC told us you better clean everything because you can get this very easily from the surface, from a doorknob, from a, a, a banister, now they say, uh, really hard to spread that way. Fantastic. Don't wear a mask, wear a mask. Clean off everything because it's easy to catch. Not really. Only person to person. Okay, at first you didn't even tell us that was the case. But that has a lot to do with China. But a lot of these governors are not seeing places to open up. They're seeing reasons to keep it down. Listen to Governor Tom Wolf of Pennsylvania. Cut three. I think what it's going to take to, to get people uh, back to uh, uh, big events, uh, and indeed what's going to take people to get back to, to uh, shopping, to, to work, uh, to school, uh, is, is going to be um, ultimately a vaccine, uh, some assurance really? that, that they're not going to get sick. Uh, yeah, that's right. Life as We can never ensure that people are not going to get sick, all right? And we can never in a million years do that. You have to find a way to live with this while the scientists are working hard at this. There is really no gray area there. You can't keep a state down because of a virus, even this virus. I would even say even an Ebola, you can't do that, which is a lot more lethal uh, than this. President's absolutely right, and I'll talk about uh, more of that a little bit later with Dave Marcus, who from The Federalist, who wrote a column that made front page news in The New York Post which essentially says, end the lockdown now. Mayor de Blasio says, I'm probably going to do it around June 15th. Meanwhile, uh, let's pivot if we can, because our economy is coming back to a degree. But the big danger so far is China. And China has created this virus, denied this virus. They they hoarded all the PPP, uh, uh, the PPE, before we even knew how lethal the virus was, because they knew ahead of time. So the China, danger is China and their belligerent behavior and the way they're actually holding up some of these countries, extorting some of these countries uh, to, uh, to, high, uh, to have an alliance with them, allow them access, allow them to build the roads and tunnels, uh, and they don't uh, able to come up with some type of payment. They take some of their assets. It's unbelievable. 
Chinese are the problem, and they're moving in on Hong Kong. We saw those courageous freedom fighters go at it. We know that they, in 1997, the British signed it over to China and said two different systems, one country. They're trying to wreck that system. Here is General Jack Keane on with me shortly, a short time ago. Cut 32. Here in Hong Kong, this is a very bold move on their part. They failed to get an extradition law because of the significant protest in mass by the Chinese, by the Hong Kong people. Now they've gone to the National Party Congress and they want them to enact laws which will criminalize foreign interference, which will be able to punish subversion and secession activities by the people. This is a significant step if they enact this legislation because they're absolutely moving directly on the people of Hong Kong. Yeah, they are. Robert O'Brien says the, the U.S. is watching, the world is watching. 34. Unfortunately, uh, some 27 years early, uh, the Chinese Communist Party has decided that uh, there's too much freedom in Hong Kong. They don't want to allow them to have their way of life or their capitalist system. If China moves forward and, and takes strong action uh, under this new national security law against the people of Hong Kong, uh, America will respond. And I think other countries in the world re- will respond, including the United Kingdom and, and many other of our allies and, and friends. We've got to organize, uh, Mr. O'Brien. You don't just count on people to organize. How are we going to respond? How would uh, you get a message to China to go, go through their wallet? So let's go through their wallet. Let them know what's at stake. Time is running out. Dave Marcus is coming up next, and uh, he is uh, with the Federalists, as I mentioned, that sensational story that really took bold action. The New York Post was uh, strong enough to run it on their front page. I hope Governor Cuomo, I hope Governor Murphy, I hope Mayor de Blasio got the message. And I hope Americans understand that uh, you got to be courageous and get out and be smart. If you have underlying conditions, if you got asthma, if you are dealing with a health issue, I'm not talking to you. If you're older uh, or senior, I'm not talking to you. You got to do what's best for your health. But if you are able-bodied and you are healthy and you know about the protocols, you have no choice. We can't shelter at home anymore. Uh, time is running out on us in our country. When we come out, uh, come back, Dave Marcus is with us. Then Admiral James Stavridis brings us inside the China situation and the challenge overseas and leaving this Russia deal. And then I take your calls. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. 
In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in Blue Collar Trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The numbers that we've seen uh, are sort of unprecedented. We've never seen numbers like this uh, in such a short period of time. Uh, I mean, we've seen a year's worth of of suicide attempts uh, in the last four weeks. I think mental health is definitely suffering, uh, and we have, we have, unfortunately, the data to prove it. Um, you know, it, it's definitely had an effect. Personally, I think it's time. Uh, Dr. Mike Du Bois Blanco uh, from Northern California talking to ABC, uh, talking about the rash of suicides, says it's unprecedented. You heard him. It's all because of this shutdown. Uh, he thoroughly believes. And it's part of the reason why this story resonated with so many people. And it was uh, the front page of the New York Post. Dave Marcus writes for uh, commentary. Uh, but this this story, he write, he's also with The Federalist. Uh, but he is. Um, but his story made national news when it was on the cover in the New York Post. Dave, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. So, uh, Dave, what made you write this right now? Uh, this weekend, actually, I started seeing images of New Yorkers very early in the morning waiting uh, in line at food banks um, that were, uh, you know, basically running out of food. And you know, I had been frustrated with. Uh, Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio, but I really started to get angry because it really brought home the devastation of not only the economic toll, but you know, the human toll um, of all these businesses closing, these jobs going away, people not being able to get basic medical treatment like cancer screening. And one doesn't get the sense that the governor and the mayor are taking this very seriously. They seem to think that people are grumpy because they can't go to brunch, and they just don't really seem to gather at all the economic catastrophe that we're you know staring at right now in new york city yeah here's what he said yesterday cut five it's a very very difficult place to be right you have financial stress you have personal stress on the other hand you have the possibility of uh hospitalization or death right so there is no good choice here. We want to find the route that gets us between the two. Right. Uh, we, that route right now, we're just on the one that says don't do anything. We don't even have phase one going in New York or, or Long Island, which is more egregious, don't you think? Yeah. I, I mean, um, when, when, when Governor Cuomo says financial stress, I mean, financial stress is like I'm not sure if I should you know, order pizza tonight or cook at home. What we're looking at is not financial stress. What, what we're looking at is, is something completely unprecedented in the history of New York City, where all of these businesses are not only shut down, many of them are just never going to come back. Meanwhile, storied you know, uh, institutions in New York City, like Yankees and Mets games, Broadway shows, jazz clubs, bars, clubs, everything that New York City is, why we live here, why people come here, we're apparently being told, well, 
you might not get those back until there's a vaccine in eight months, a year, two years. What's going on? Who's in charge and when are they going to tell us what the deal is? Yeah, and, and you know, success leaves clues. Brian Kemp is going to the, uh, see the vice president today. Georgia has gone better than anyone thought, and South Carolina as well, and Florida as well. And yet, so far, we also find out, according to Governor Cuomo, that two-thirds of those hospitalized recently have been sheltering at home and had coronavirus. So I'm sheltering at home, losing my livelihood, and I'm still getting sick. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, in New York City and New York State, we now may as well live under a dictatorship of medical experts. And listen, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm all for medical experts, including the one that, that uh, you just promoted with the, the suicide numbers in Northern California. But there's other yeah. legitimate competing interests, as that guy points out, right? An epidemiologist is, is a hammer that knows one nail, which is how do we think what do we think is the best way to stop the spread of this? We don't know that it is, but what do we think it is? Well, there's other legitimate competing interests, and so far the governor and the mayor have no interest in them. They just pretend that they don't exist. So, Dave, what's been the response from your your story? You know, it's been pretty positive, I, I have to say. I've, I've written some things along this line in, in the last two weeks or so, and I think everyone who's even expressed the notion of opening up has received a deluge of, oh, my, good, my goodness, you want to kill grandma? How could you be so heartless? And honestly, there was less of that uh, yesterday. My, my very wise editor, Sorab Amari, at, at The Post, had that piece for a few days. And really, I think, waited until the frustration was there to pull the trigger. And most of the reaction has been people saying, yeah, it, it's time. We, we can't keep going on like this. So pretty positive, which, which you know, for me is good news. Is it a coincidence that these states, they're so slow to open and frustrating people are almost all Democratic governors? Do you smell politics in this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the cynical way to look at it would be that they you know, think that it, it helps the Democrats' chances in November. But I think the broader problem is when you hear both Cuomo and, and uh, de Blasio talking about how we're not going to go back to a new normal. There's going to be some kind of you know, New Deal situation. Now, when I hear Bill de Blasio say there's going to be a new economic deal, I know he's thinking of something you know, somewhere to the left of the Sandinistas. So, uh, you know, I think, there's a, I think there's a lot of that going on, where these, these Democratic politicians have so much power now uh, that, look, they're loath to give it up. It's a story as old as man. Uh, yeah, but if you are in politics for the right reasons, for the people, how do you explain that the Gallup poll doesn't agree with me? I 100% agree with you, by the way. How do you explain that for the majority? Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. <laughs> His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. People, 51% of Republicans think we're going too fast. 76% of Democrats think we're opening up too fast. I, I haven't met these people, but Gallup says they're there. How do you explain that? I think there's a, there's a variety of explanations. I think that, you know, one thing is just I think everybody's been told this is what you're supposed to say or else you're a monster. So I think that plays into it. 
uh, you know, look, for two months, people have been, been bombarded with, with, you know, all of these scary images and the fact that they can't leave their house. I mean, it feels incredibly bizarre. So you can understand why people are feeling trepidatious. Um, I, you know, and, and I do think that people just didn't feel permission to say, hey, maybe we need to stop doing this now. So, you know, my hope is that we see a little bit of that move uh, as, as we go forward and people, you know, see what, what's gotcha. happening in Georgia and Florida and those places. So Dave, great job. Uh, I'll have to, hope to talk to you again soon. Great job in the New York Post. And New York City is locked down now. I 100% agree. Uh, thank you. Meanwhile, another challenge straight ahead with Admiral James Stravitas stopping China, getting a message to them. Brian Kilmeade Show, Big Friday. Don't move. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The United States and the world are distracted. And the United States is increasingly seen by many in China as having switched its policy to becoming much more hostile towards China. So my guess is the Chinese figured this would send a shot across our bow. We're distracted. Might even send the message to Taiwan. So for any number of reasons... The Chinese have essentially grown impatient on Hong Kong, and they are cracking down hard. And it seems to be that way. And Hong Kong is definitely nervous at this hour. Uh, that whole one country, two systems, well, that one system is getting uh, about to get spanked, it looks like. Let's bring uh, Adam James Stravitas in, uh, 16th Allied Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Uh, his book, Sailing True North, still available. Also, Admiral Stav- uh, Stavridis has a great website, AdmiralStav.com. Admiral, uh, do you sense that Richard Haas, who you just heard, is right? They sense a more uh, belligerent attitude from the U.S. and are starting to step up in response? I think it is a combination of three things. Number one is the distraction internationally. I think China just feels like this might be the moment they can get away with it. Brian, we always say crime is where motive meets opportunity. So I think they see an opportunity with distraction. Number two, uh, the ramp up in rhetoric on both sides, uh, kind of over COVID virus, but really about all the underlying conditions uh, that have been plaguing this U.S.-China relationship, 5G network, South China Sea, artificial islands. We're already very tense. Now you put COVID on top of it. And yes, politics. And then number three is Hong Kong itself. The Chinese are just impatient. And uh, 7 million people, they're even at that size, they're the 40th largest economy in the world if they were measured by themselves. And China wants to control it. Uh, It is, you you called it, it's going to go from uh, one country, two systems to one country, one system. And that's not a good thing. What can we do? How do we stop it? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to to think about here. One is, and you're starting to see some in Congress talk about sanctions. Uh, I think that's a possibility, particularly targeted sanctions, Brian, directed against the puppets from Beijing that are in uh, Hong Kong cracking down. 
I think number two, we illuminate the situation. We use our intelligence gathering information to uh, tell the story of what's going on to try and build international consensus. And let's let's not forget, China signed up to a 50-year period of special treatment, and that was in 1997. So there's plenty of years to go here. So there ought to be an international reaction that we can help spark and illuminate, maybe put some sanctions in play. And third and finally, we can uh, look across the spectrum of other activities and say to China, hey, you know, you're going to want a trade deal at some point coming out of this. You know, we've negotiated. The Trump administration, I think, did a good job negotiating the first tranche of that. But China desperately needs access to our markets. Um, That's a big nuclear weapon we could uh, deploy in this. So we have some tools at play. Uh, I'll close on this, Brian, by saying we ought to focus on Taiwan. This is a good time for the United States to get closer to Taiwan help with their defense spending. Uh, They want to buy U.S. products. They want to work and train with us. That's a little bit of a message uh, to China, and China doesn't have the control over Taiwan remotely that they do over Hong Kong. Kind of interesting because that was brought up. We have selling them torpedoes, it looks like, and we definitely recognize the re-election of their leader, and the president didn't call, but we had a high-ranking official call to congratulate China hates that. I want you to hear what Robert O'Brien said. Uh, He is definitely concerned and on top of this. But tell me if you uh, can read through his comments and, and feel good about him. Cut 35. Hong Kong enjoys some special access to U.S. markets. It's treated as if it's a free economy under under various customs unions. Uh, and there are privileges that, that Hong Kong accrues because it's a free, uh, considered a free system. Uh, we'd have to look over uh, whether those concessions could continue to be made. Uh, and then there are plenty of other uh, tools that we have in the toolkit to deal with China if they engage in the, uh, the violation of the human rights of the people of Hong Kong. We'll take a look at what happens. Uh, we hope the Chinese... Uh, don't go forward with this uh, blatant attempt to take away the, the way of life of the people of Hong Kong. If they do, I'm sure there'll be a strong response from the United States and from others. And there, yeah. there are lots of tools to, to, uh, to express our displeasure to the Chinese. Your thoughts uh, on, the, you on know, that? Well, first, just as an aside, I've been very impressed with Robert O'Brien. You know, Secretary, uh, he, he came in after a bit of controversy with yep. uh John Bolton, and before that with H.R. McMaster, and before that with Mike Flynn, I think President Trump has found the right national security advisor for him, which is to say low ego, uh, low observable profile. He just really cuts to the chase. He's absolutely correct and on point here, and I think the subtext of what he's saying is, in fact, Taiwan. Uh, and I do wish the president would have called the president. I know her, uh, Madam Tsai. She's ex- extremely impressive, very committed to maintaining uh, Taiwan as an independent entity. I think getting closer to Taiwan is in the cards going forward. All right, we'll see. Uh, We also have to uh, worry about their belligerent actions. We talked about last week, nine separate incidents on our planes and ships in the area. Indeed. And we've got um, destroyers uh, crashing through the South China Sea right now. Uh, as I think we talked about, my own beloved USS Barry, the first ship I commanded, Arleigh Burke Destroyer, did a great job out there. A couple of weeks ago, they've been relieved on station. 
uh, we are not going to simply turn over the South China Sea, which is this enormous body of water the size of the Gulf of Mexico and Caribbean Sea combined. We are not going to let China just take that over as territorial seas. That's what they want. And that's what also National Security Advisor O'Brien is referring to. That's another tool in our toolkit as we uh, push back on China in the context of this uh, Hong Kong activity. American Defense Forces, according to the London Times, uh, said that simulated conflicts with China has the U.S. losing almost any war in the Pacific. And they go into detail about it. Uh, China has long-range anti-ship ballistic missiles. They have hypersonic, more than five times the speed of uh, sound missiles. Uh, And they believe, when they war game this out, that uh, we would lose to China. And for us, hypersonic weapons are viewed as the key to taking out China's ballistic capability, and we're just developing them now. When you war game it out and talk to your guys and your women that do this stuff, are we losing every war to China? No. And a couple of things to bear in mind about this. Uh, first of all, you can, you can look at weapon systems and their ranges and their speeds, but there's always going to be an aspect to warfare that is the ingenuity of the commander, the way in which you employ these forces, the ethos of a given unit. Um, it's not just simple correlation of forces matching up uh, A versus B, range of this, speed of that. So, uh, A, I think um, there's a lot of trade space in how you evaluate these kind of engagements. And B, a lot of this, Brian, when it's war-gamed, it is the U.S. Pacific Fleet fighting the Chinese Navy. Here's a newsflash for China. Ships can go anywhere, and we can swing the entire U.S. Navy into the South China Sea if we have to. We can move our air forces out of Europe and into the Pacific. We can bring massive overbearing force. So China could uh, score some hits, and I think they would, but they would be very foolish to think that that they could uh, engage tactically, sink a carrier or, or two, and then be able to fight off the entire United States armed forces. That is not how it works. So be cautious of analysis that looks strictly at a given region. It's the global capability of the U.S. military. Got, yeah, we have a little bit of a uh, break up there. You still with me, uh, Admiral? Did we just lose him? Yeah, it looks like I lost him. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. If we can get him back, we'll, we'll put him on. We have another minute or two. I do have some other things to talk to him about, but I'm going to be taking calls and going through emails, so many emails from yesterday and this morning um, about what's going on standing up the country, look at the China threat, as well as uh, presidential politics. Uh, Joe Biden beating the president by as many as nine points nationally, uh, 17 points. He's better on health care, according to the people surveyed. Uh, nine points. He's better on the pandemic and the president grades higher on uh, the economy. Gone. All right. Uh, we'll get him back in just a second. So I want to play, if I can, Robert O'Brien, I played before, but I do want to get uh, additional perspective on what O'Brien uh, thinks we could be doing in the long run uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to taking on China as well as General Jack Keane. Here's what he said about the COVID-19, their uh, upscale of operations 
to, to show that they demonstrate the power in the region. Instead of being contrite and apologetic, they're the opposite. Cut 33. Uh, since COVID-19, the Chinese have upscaled their operations uh, in the South China Sea and Western Pacific, all the way from Japan uh, to Malaysia, wanting to demonstrate that they are the dominant power in the region and the United States no longer has the status that it has and they want to break the resolve of our allies. And that's why we got to protect our allies. We got to tell Australia, we got your back. You lose an iron ore sales, we'll supplement it. Hey, NATO, you condemn them, European Union will be there. And uh, what I was going to pivot to before I just get to finally, Admiral, we got you back. Uh, General Jack Keane just weighed in. They're trying to break our allies' resolve in the area and make us come off as weak as we struggle with this pandemic. Uh, that's why it's important. If Australia's going to have the courage to speak up, we have to say, okay, iron ore sales are, are, are going to be held back by China. We'll supplement. Hey, European Union, we'll be there on trade on different issues. And we got to say this publicly, don't you think? 100%. The greatest comparative advantage the United States has over Russia and China globally is this network of allies, partners, and friends. NATO, Australia, New Zealand, uh, the Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, Japan, South Korea. I could go on and on and on. We've got to keep them on board with us. It's going to be crucial in this period of COVID going forward. Venezuela has oil, but they can't refine it. So evidently, Iran is now exporting their energy to them. We say we're going to cut off Iran. So Venezuela says we're going to escort Iranian ships into that beleaguered nation. What's our move? Well, first and foremost, um, we are going to uh, be ensuring that globally we do not uh, allow Iran to move that oil by sanctions, economic sanctions, and we've done that very effectively. In terms of whether we ought to allow them to sail ships uh, into uh, Venezuela is, is a, a bridge the administration is going to have to decide uh, how far they want to push this thing forward. I will say this, the, uh, being escorted by the Venezuelan Navy uh, is not exactly a guarantee that you're going to end up going anywhere, since I, I'm not even sure their ships can significantly get underway at this point. So we had to look hard at whether or not this is legal activity. And just as we um, intercede when North Korea tries to move arms around the world, we had to be looking at whether or not we are going to intercede as Iran tries to move oil around the world. I could talk to you for 10 hours, but I got to get you to weigh in on what the president announced yesterday, that American mm -hmm. officials uh, are walking away from our overflight deal with Russia, proposed in 1955 by Eisenhower, where unarmed planes can go back and forth across our countries, implemented by Bush 41. And now we say they keep violating it by not letting us go certain areas. So the president didn't like they flew over Westminster uh, and other places. <laughs> so we're walking away from this. Would, is this a good move? Uh, as always in life, there's pros and cons. The good news about staying with this treaty is we get really good data out of it. Our allies work with us. We get engagement with Russia. But I think the administration is correct to put Russia on notice that, hey, we are going to be allowed our treaty rights to fly over Kaliningrad, to fly over Ukraine, to fly over uh, Russian-occupied Georgia. That's where they've been denying us these flights. It takes two to make a treaty. I think the president has it about right when he says, 
hey, we're going to give you six months to make this right. If they can't make it right uh, and won't let us fly where we need to fly, then I think we should step away from the treaty. I'm hopeful Russia will come back on this one, Brian. You know what? David Ignatius writes today that we, there might be a reapproachment with Russia, and basically because both our countries are concerned about China. Uh, I don't, you know, who knows? But have you seen some overtures there where there might be a reason to reinvigorate the alliance? I have not, not, not that it ever, I guess it's overstating it's an alliance, but okay, yeah, go ahead, but sorry. I, I, I get your point, but what I think we are seeing, frankly, is China and Russia drawing closer together. It would be geopolitical magic and good magic if we could pull Russia away from China. I don't see that happening in the near term because uh, Russia needs Chinese capital and investment. They're very cognizant of their long border with China. Uh, I think uh, Russia is going to be closer to China than to the United States. That's not to say we shouldn't use all the tricks in our bag to try and split those folks, just as they try and split us apart from our NATO allies, Brian. Admiral Stavridis, have, have a, a Memorial Day that, that stands out uh, uh, the best you can. Uh, and I know especially for all your years of service and the people you must have known who have fought and one unfortunately did not come back. Uh, you could follow the Admiral on AdmiralStav.com. Admiral, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Brian, and have a very blessed and sacred Memorial Day. And also think about those health care workers who have fallen in the face of COVID. They're all part of those who have given their all for this nation. Absolutely. Great point. Um, thank you very much, Admiral. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I want a signal as clear as a bell. All roads are leading to the first half of June. The city indicators, the state indicators, we are seeing very clear progress. We have to sustain the progress. We all want to get there, so we all have to be a part of it. Uh, that is Mayor de Blasio saying, hey, we told you in March it'll be 10, 15 days, but now we're going to say June 15th. Good luck trying to open up a single restaurant after that. There's been no effort to put this thing down, uh, to, put, to make these restaurants friendly, to make the sporting goods places, places we can go to, but Home Depot and all the others. Uh, uh, for example, nurseries can open, but you can't go to a flower shop. All this stuff, they made no effort to try to get people back online, and that is a horrible Mayor de Blasio. I want to get to some of your uh, emails, which you've been saying to me. Uh, Barbara says, hey, Brian, I'm watching Fox & Friends. You guys are in separate studios, and Judge Napolitano is saying uh, you should just defy the quarantine and just go back to work. Why are your hosts still utilizing separate studios? Number one, uh, we're in separate studios, but we're all still in the hotspot. Number two, we're working. If people are able to work and sustain their business, that is fine. We're trying to adhere to the rules. But by, by, I am lucky enough, and this company is lucky enough to be able to do business. Nobody else is that lucky or a small fraction of businesses. I don't know what your point is. Peter writes, Illinois Governor Pritzker, who's an embarrassment, my words. He says, office phones go to voicemail that says mailbox is full. He may be winning a few battles, but he lost the war. We the people are angry and we're open with, uh, without it, we're going to open without his approval. Most corrupt state ever is Illinois. Yes, you got a huge problem with that huge mayor. 
whose family's safe, but nobody else is when you want to run a business in Illinois. They think it's all like Chicago, and it is not. Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, We are coming to you on this Friday, and we really appreciate you being there as you've been through this pandemic. Uh, We come to you from New York, but heard around the country, pretty much around the world. We've gotten calls from Europe, uh, the Philippines, Australia. Uh, It's nice to know the world is finding a way to listen, especially you. And I know this is very trying times, even to the best of circumstances. If you're lucky enough to have a job and have a Uh, have a home and not have to wait on those food lines. You know somebody that doesn't and is. So I appreciate it. Uh, Just some things that are are happening. We're going to be welcoming Geraldo in a matter of moments. Jonathan Ward, he's a China expert. we got a series of things to talk about. They could be close to cracking down on Hong Kong and breaking breaking that 1997 agreement to let that be a free marketplace. And then I want to go local uh, and talk about what the small business person goes with, with a multiple franchise owner of Crunch Fitness, Lou Breslau, talks about what it is like sitting in New York watching watching your companies waste away while having to fork out money for your employees hoping that the grant you got which is not enough becomes a grant and not a loan. And he's got to bring you this headline. You talk about getting a pass. New York uh, governor Cuomo, who's a wonderful communicator, I love his powerpoints, but man He is getting a pass on his numbers. USA Today is finally beginning to sober up. They say this. Why, oh, why is New York Governor Andrew Cuomo being praised for his coronavirus response? Governor Cuomo does not deserve kudos for COVID-19. He's put the elderly at great risk. And I have some quotes there. Compare that to what Florida has done. Compare that to what Georgia is doing. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Unfortunately, the Chinese Communist Party has decided that there's too much freedom in Hong Kong. They don't want to allow them to have their way of life. If China moves forward and takes strong action uh, under this new national security law against the people of Hong Kong, uh, America will respond. Yep, China, U.S. uh, finds another way uh, to put pressure on China for their belligerent actions. It's called Taiwan. They have a whole bunch of torpedoes being sold to them while their belligerence continues in the South China Sea, and they threaten to crack down, as I mentioned, on Hong Kong. What's next? What can we do? Number two. Voters trust two different candidates on the two biggest issues of the day. Trust to do a better job on the economy. Voters like Trump. Trust to do a better job handling COVID-19. Voters like Biden, according to a new Fox News poll. Research, excuse me, presidential politics, new polls show Biden on top of Trump nationally, on top of him when it comes to health care, on top of him on pandemics, only the president with a slight advantage when it comes to the economy on who do you trust. Do you believe these polls? Number one. You have a lot of, uh, unfortunately, in this case, Democrat governors. I think they think it's good politics to keep it closed. They're uh, hurting themselves. They're hurting their state. I think they're being forced to open, frankly. The people want to get out. You'll break the country if you don't. 
resurgence. That's what we're seeing in many states that are opening up, as the president says, too slow. That's how I view it as well. Mostly Democratic states. Is that a coincidence? New studies show the stunning danger of staying at home. With suicide risks in Northern California, they're starting to see it. Doctors are speaking out, as well as widespread uh, depression. In Tennessee, they're also seeing it, too. Geraldo Rivera joins us now. Geraldo, do you agree with the president's sentiment that Democratic states are doing it, maybe for other reasons? I think that, yes, I do. I think that, unfortunately, Brian, uh, the stink of politics permeates society and American politicians and America's reaction to the epidemic. Not science, but politics. And I think that when you, even with hydroxychloroquine as an example, people don't care about the science of it. They care about the politics of it. They don't. Trump likes it, so they hate it if they hate Trump. I, I think it's really unfortunate how science and politics have been all mucked up in terms of our response to this virus. And, and it is so clear when you see the cities run by Democrats and their response to the, the big states run by Republicans and their response. I, I, I lament it. I think that it, it, it causes a real disillusionment when it comes to trust in the political establishment. I don't think it helps President Trump at all. I think that it makes people very skeptical, very cynical about government. Uh, you know, and I, I really, uh, it's, it's frustrating to watch. Uh, you know, it's kind of, uh, when I see a politician voicing the, uh, you know, sanctimony about uh, closure and safety and all the rest, when I, I think they're really trying to zing President Trump, I, I lament that, Brian. Absolutely. And uh, did the, uh, Geraldo, this is the analogy I use, and you might want to use it in the rest of your life because I'm not going to be listening to you all day and weekend. <laughs> uh, you, if you have a pen handy, jot it down. But if people want to cross the road, they think they're on the sidewalk, they're safe. And if they want to take a risk, cross the road. I'm trying to tell them the sidewalk is dangerous and the sidewalk is sheltering at home as well as in the street. I'd rather try to cross the street than pretend that I'm safe at home. And when you find out that two-thirds of hospitalizations in New York in May are for people sheltering at home, I think that's proof that my analogy is 100% correct. People have to realize there's a danger to not working, a danger to our country and to themselves. You know, you were speaking so fast, I was trying to write everything down, but I got stuck at sidewalk. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get you a tape. There's no doubt but that staying home comes with a cost in terms of domestic violence and suicide uh, and the other complications that you have mentioned. I, I believe that if people are sensible uh, with social distancing and washing your hands and, and just don't going to bars where there are 50 sweaty people all packed to, together to listen to the clash, uh, I, I, I think that we can get through this. What I am heartened by enormously is the uh, the the looming uh, promise of all of these therapeutic treatments and the vaccine. Now they're saying hundreds of millions of doses will be available as early as September. Uh, I I believe that we're going to have this damn epidemic in the rearview mirror uh, just in time for the presidential elections. And I think that it bodes well for the president, although I lament wholeheartedly. i just give you a quick example. He goes to Michigan yesterday. So he wears the mask uh, when he's off camera, but because he doesn't want to give the hostile press the satisfaction of seeing him in a mask, he takes it off 
uh, when he addresses the press about the touring of the Ford plant. The cable channel's not our own. Talked about the damn mask issue, the president wearing the mask issue, to the exclusion of the floods in Michigan with the, the toxic waste dump and Dow Chemical and people losing their home. They, they put that like 45 minutes after the hour for the first whole half plus of the shows on the other cable channels. They were talking about the president in the damn mask. I, I think that it's so political, the response to this, it has undermined credibility in government and the health agencies, uh, you know, our, our faith in life. It just seems so, so petty, so cynical to me. So I got to tell you something. Lara Logan alerted me to a story that I kind of skipped over a week ago. She says that under General McChrystal, who's working with Massachusetts, I think with the city centers on this pandemic response, they are beginning to use the program that we use to take apart al-Qaeda in Iraq in terms of disseminating information and messaging. Democrats are beginning to use that same program under General Stanley McChrystal's direction to disseminate the president's message in this election, using some war moves to take down a terror group in order to win an election at home. And she says, case in point, let's not talk about Florida and Georgia. Let's talk about the president in these big cities and the amount of people in this epidemic. She was alarmed by this. She doubted the legality of it. You're also a war correspondent. I was wondering your thoughts. Well, I was in Afghanistan with General McChrystal, and he was the head of, uh, you know, all of our troops there. And then, uh, you know, a special forces warrior. I have high regard for him and for General Flynn. Uh, you know, I, I, I lamented. I, I, I totally credit Laura Logan's reporting, number one. I remember being in a convoy uh, with her on the Afghan-Pakistan border. She was in the lead vehicle. I was like six vehicles back. Her vehicle got blown up. Uh, the guy, uh, she was in the bed of the truck. The guy sitting shotgun lost his legs, our GI. Uh, and I, you know, I, I filmed her the whole thing, uh, you know, as she kept her cool in the wake of that, uh, that, that catastrophe. So I, tr- I trust Laura Logan's reporting. I think that is lamentable. I'm not surprised uh, that, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the Democrats or the Republicans, for that matter, would use any dirty trick they could find that's remotely legal uh, to attack the other. And I, 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 that, that aspect of politics disgusts me. I, I wonder, the, the president has to get back to the old-style campaigning, but more than anything else, he's got to call out Joe Biden to meet him uh, toe-to-toe, face-to-face. Don't let Biden avoid the debates, because once you see the two candidates shoulder-to-shoulder, all those polls you mentioned that right. Joe Biden leading will evaporate overnight. So, uh, but Joe Biden, I haven't heard this yet, but Joe Biden was on another channel, and he was asked about the VP stakes. And let's listen together as he talked about who we might choose. Black people saved your political life in the primaries this year. They have things they want from you. And one of them is a black woman running mate. What, what do you say to them? What I say to them is that I'm not acknowledging anybody who is being considered, but I guarantee you there are multiple black women being considered. Multiple. Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. Cause I a, will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions. You got more questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. What? Okay. I missed if, that if you have any what? problem, he what said, if you, you have any problem, if you, 
He said, if you have any problem deciding if you're for me or Trump, you're not black. If you're for me or Trump, you're not black. I don't if know. You, I if mean, you have any problem, yeah. I, I have well, problems there you go. simultaneously translating what the vice president says sometimes. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes it sounds like a jumble. Uh, I, I, I think that it, going back to the main issue of picking a, a, a black woman to be a running mate, I, I believe that that is not only fraught with peril for the vice president, but also the, it, it holds the promise of a, of a victory that he might not author, uh, otherwise get. So I think that he's got to go with a black woman. Uh, but it's a, it depends on which one. Uh, you know, who are you going to pick? I think uh, Kamala Harris is the strongest candidate, but she didn't do that well in the, in the primaries. Uh, you know, he can energize the base, I guess, with that, with that pick, but it's... Uh, uh, you know, she's. She, I think that the the historic thing about the vice presidential pick is that with Joe Biden seemingly frail, a frail 77, he'll be 78 when he takes office. Uh, the the vice presidential pick will likely be the next president of the United States. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's a big, 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 big pick, and uh, people will judge. I think it will could motivate the base, although uh, Senator Harris wasn't particularly inspiring in most of the campaign season. She faded and had bickering and all the rest of that. So I, I don't know. I think the Democrats may be looking strong now that the press is focused on Trump. But once they get into the body of the campaign, I think that the Democrats are going to be disadvantaged. That's just my personal feeling. Yeah. By the exuberance, right, I just don't the, think uh, they'll ask him a tough question. They well, already yeah, they're, they're, they don't even that. acknowledge his mistrips. They're blaming on his childhood stutter. Uh, Last, Geraldo, do you believe the president's trailing by nine points nationally? Do you believe that he is really? Uh, you really believe he is trailing by that distance? No, I don't. And I, I think that right now, Joe Biden is avoiding all kinds of scrutiny. The press is all about being negative to Trump. I mean, virtually everybody in the media is anti-Trump, except, you know, a handful of uh, newspapers here or there and uh, and our network. Uh, you hear the constant drumbeat of uh, Trump thinks uh, Biden is wonderful. Uh, you know, that affects the national poll until you start a campaign. So people start campaign uh, comparing Joe Biden's public statements with Donald Trump's public statements. And you know, let's, let's see how Vice President Biden holds up under that kind of scrutiny, those kinds of attacks. I think this thing with the, the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee and, and other committees in the United States Senate beginning these investigations into Ukraine and Russiagate, uh, I think that it represents another danger to the Democrats. When they start exposing uh, who knew what when in the Obama administration in terms of that frame job, uh, you know, of General Flynn and uh, the attempt to get the president to overthrow the president. I think that that's going to be big, big news. That and the vaccine are going to be the two big stories, I think, in the uh, late summer. And, Geraldo, I'm glad you're going to be with us the, uh, every step of the way. Geraldo Rivera, thanks so much. Okay, uh, have, a, have, an important, have an important Memorial Day. Thanks so much, uh, You Geraldo. too. You too. All right. Meanwhile, when we come back, um, your calls, one 408 and uh, keep in mind, too, you can always pick up Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. Go to BrianKillMe.com. I can personalize it for you for, for Father's Day. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. 
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think he's probably smart at this point not to interject himself into the day-to-day news, not to try to, you know, there was talk for a while that he was going to hold sort of shadow press briefings about the coronavirus. I think if you look at the internal numbers in, in the Fox poll just out, it shows that he's doing just fine on coronavirus. He's three points behind President Trump on the economy. He's actually surprisingly, I think, uh, ahead of President Trump by six points if, uh, on China, even though President Trump has made an effort to go after Joe Biden. So I don't think that there's any reason for Joe Biden to, to feel the need to jump into this race, to, to have a presence, particularly as he's going through something that's typically a behind-the-scenes operation in selecting his vice presidential candidate. Steve Hayes making a lot of sense. Uh, you're right. Joe Biden is doing well in the polls, but he's doing terrible from his basement. Almost every interview he does, every podcast he gives, every time he tries to host one or answer a question, there's something bizarre that comes out of it. He is the worst, most ill-equipped person to be trying to become president in my lifetime. But the polls show he's doing just fine. This seems to be basically more of an anti-Trump thing. Jeff is listening to the Fox News Radio app in North Carolina. Jeff, what's on your mind? How you doing? I just want to go over what you're talking about with Araldo. I think that um, I, I, I'm a Democrat, but I see I see that Joe is kind of like losing a little bit. You know, he's 70, he'll be 78 pretty soon. But also to see the historical presidents of the first time in this country that we really could have a female uh, president. Now it could be Klobuchar, um, uh, it could be a woman of color. Uh, but I think that a lot of Democrats are looking at the historical. Um, thing uh, about a woman being president, and obviously um, there have been women that have been qualified to to be president, but obviously yeah, but they already had a shot do it. at Hillary. Hillary. Hillary's a female. The Democrats didn't rally around her. They're going to rally around yeah. somebody with with less experience. Uh, I think that that uh, Hillary. Um, I think a, a perspective, especially people of color, didn't come out because. We believe the, the, the narrative that it was going to be easy, easy. And a lot of people stayed home. I mean, a lot of people. I'm a person of color. I know a lot of people that stayed home, and they regret doing that um, now that we have Trump. But um, I don't think it's going to happen this time. And with Obama coming out, I, I, I think that's not going to happen. Those people of color are not, especially if a woman of color is on that ticket. The historical presidents of that. And obviously women have been qualified to be president of the United States, but obviously the racism and, 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 and just the, the negativity toward women. Um, there have been a lot of great women in this country. We're the only organized country in the world that's a democracy that doesn't, has never had a woman leader, and that's just it's despicable. Hey, blame the parties. They didn't nominate her. Uh, they nominate them. Uh, don't blame the American people for that. Thanks so much for the call. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Jonathan Ward talk about the peril, which is China, and how to handle what they're about to do to Hong Kong. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So the interesting question is why and why now? And here, in my own sense, is a couple of things are driving this. One is the economy in China has slowed down dramatically. So I think they're nervous. There's criticism in China, sometimes open, 
about Xi Jinping's handling of the coronavirus outbreak. And what does Hong Kong represent? Hong Kong represents, if you will, a different kind of virus to the Chinese authorities. It's the, it's the virus of liberal democracy. Interesting. Richard Haas, very well respected on the, on the world stage, weighing in on why China seems to be cracking down and tightening the grip uh, on Hong Kong, uh, which could be going against the 1997 treaty, uh, one country, two systems. Jonathan Ward, author of China's Vision of Victory, and founder of the Atlas Organization, a consultancy focused on the China and India. Jonathan, if you're in Hong Kong right now, are you nervous? Good morning, Brian. Um, it's good to be back. Yes, I mean, in Hong Kong today, I think everyone understands that um, the future is going to be very dark. Um, this is the end um, of the one country, two systems um, really? promise. And it's going to be the end of the chance for, for the freedoms that they seek. Well, I think the U.S. is not going to stand by and let that happen. What are our options? We can't. And what senators have introduced in in Congress, and and this is bipartisan, which is very important, and so much of the legislation that's been introduced is done by both parties now on China. So there's a consensus that endures. Um, But about sanctioning the, the officials and entities that are going to impose this security bill and also any businesses or banks that do business with um, those that are imposing it. So the U.S. is going to have to take action in terms of sanctions. And I think that's where the whole U.S.-China relationship is really headed. I mean, it's going to go into an economic form of uh, hardball where we're going to impose penalties on China for all these you know, horrible actions they're undertaking around the world. Well, that means uh, obviously goodbye phase one of the trade deal, which is tough to implement, especially when it comes to oil, too. Uh, number one, so there's no trade deal there. That's going to further destabilize the world economy. And when there's already a bipartisan movement in Congress to f- force uh, Chinese companies off the stock exchange that won't uh, allow an audit, and that'll be just about every company because they don't allow the audits. What else can we do to the Hong Kong stocks? Well, this is, I mean, it raises the question of what um, Hong Kong is going to mean as a global financial center. I mean, that's, that's really, it, it's becoming less and less valuable to the communists as, as uh, Shanghai sort of rises. But at the same time, China still has access to global markets. And, and you know, global markets are funding their civil military fusion programs, the companies that build their surveillance state and all their human rights repression. So we're going to have to start cutting that off. And the fact that they themselves are destroying Hong Kong's independent judiciary um, it's freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, all these promises that they made to the world during the handover um, means that they themselves are starting to cut China off from the world. And, and we're going to have to um, make sure that we're taking actions that, that are begin to defund this regime and prevent them from having access to the funds that enable them to grow a massive military and all the rest of what they're trying to do. And that, and that is something, if we threaten that and say, if you crack down... If you disband uh, the democratic infrastructure, we, you leave the, the, the New York Stock Exchange and Hong Kong leaves too. Can they really afford to lose that economic engine of Hong Kong? That's the big question. I think what they're doing is they're choosing um, to prioritize their their sort of system of repression over their access to the world's market. And yet, 
the other side of this is, of course, during this global, you know, global economic crisis that was brought on by COVID-19. I mean, China's economy is starting to come back. So even while the rest of the world is on pause and, and suffering serious economic damage, China is starting to reignite its economic engines. So as, as a center of production, they're still capable. Um, as, as a place that's attractive to, to Western finance, that's a cord we have to cut. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, their belligerent activities in the South China Sea against us, how are we supposed to interpret that? And how, what would be an effective answer to that? I think where we have to go, Brian, is we need a new American grand strategy towards China. And what we're going to have to focus on is economic containment. Now, this is something that we haven't done in quite a long time because our contest with the USSR was basically a, a country that had already cut itself off from the world economically. And China, you know, conversely, we gave them 30 or 40 years where we invited them into absolutely everything, thinking that they would liberalize as they grew rich. That's not what's going to happen. They're converting it all into weaponry that's designed for warfare in the Pacific. So we're going to have to start um, sanctioning their companies, you know, particularly those that are involved in their military and in their, their surveillance state and all of that. And then we're going to have to build a global alliance and get all of our allies on board in such a way where we become the trading community that excludes the People's Republic of China for as long as the Communist Party is in power. Well, that's going to be interesting. It's going to take everyone getting on the same page. And with six months left of the first term, this might have to wait till after the election. Do you think that um, do you think that Joe Biden's past, I don't want to get you involved in politics, Joe Biden's past makes China say to themselves, I'd rather have that guy than this guy? I think there's no question that this administration has has done something historic by confronting China for the first time. I mean, every past president, really from H.W. Bush after Tiananmen Square all the way um, prior to the Trump administration, I mean, everybody was pursuing this policy of engagement, and engagement didn't work. So at this point, we're going to have to take a very different um, approach to all of this. We're going to have to play hardball. We're going to have to start cutting this regime off, and we have to have a bipartisan consensus. We can only do this as a united country. We're noticing Australia and New Zealand are also fed up. Russia also wants an open investigation about how this virus started. Turkey weighed in. If you're the U.S., doesn't this present somewhat of an opportunity? Yes, I mean, I, 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 I think it might. Tell me more about that. Well, here they are. They are outraged on China. If we go in and say, hey, guys, we want the same thing. We have different beliefs and systems. But let's unite against this Chinese spread and their lack of contrition for what they've done to the world and their disinformation, which they're flooding our media with. Right. I think, I think, I think you're right that it, it, you basically have a, a, a global coalition at this point that, that all wants answers on this. I mean, everybody's been hit. I think everybody understands where this came from. Um, you know, the Communist Party's doing a cover-up that, you know, even if, if we're, you know, we're never going to have the answers because they're never going to let us in any more than the Soviets would have let us in to see Chernobyl. And yet, you know, it's not just us and the Allies and the Australians. It's true. It's Russia and Turkey and everybody I and mean, all the people that, you know, we can barely get along as a group. But here we have this, this common thing to understand. So I think, you know, China's relationships with some of the, I mean, 
mean, Russia is their probably most important partner state. I mean, their military partnership is so significant. It's basically pointed at the U.S. I mean, both of them are, are working to undermine the American system. And, and it's true. We, we're going to need a new Sino-Soviet split at some point. I mean, we don't want Russia and China to be working together um, throughout this decade. And, and, you know, I mean, at, at this point, maybe Russia's seen the cost. I think so. There's some interesting going on with Russia right now uh, as we get ready for our election and find out what they did or didn't do in 2016. Uh, Jonathan Ward, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Great to be back. You got it. one 408 7669 We can open the phones, too, uh, and take your calls. I also got to tell you that next, uh, what is life like as a small business owner waiting for the country to open up, told that it will just be a month, and now it's going to be three and a half months? We have a special guest coming our way uh, in just a matter of moments. In terms of what we can do to China, I think it's kind of interesting what Robert O'Brien said. He seems to be on it. Cut 34. Unfortunately, uh, some 27 years early, uh, the Chinese Communist Party has decided that uh, there's too much freedom in Hong Kong. They don't want to allow them to have their way of life or their capitalist system. If China moves forward and, and takes strong action uh, under this new national security law against the people of Hong Kong, uh, America will respond. And I think other countries in the world re- will respond, including the United Kingdom and, and many other of our allies and, and friends. I do, too, but it's going to take some wrangling. When we come back, uh, I'll be joined by Lou Breslau, uh, Crunch franchise owner of two separate locations. Every gym in Los Angeles and in New York is under lock and key right now. If they don't open soon, they will not open at all. What is it like to wait for your chance to survive? We'll find out in just a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade Show. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. When we began the lockdown, it was for a very specific reason, um, which was to flatten the curve of cases and ensure that we didn't overrun the hospital system. Uh, We succeeded in doing that. Uh, We even brought a a whole lot of things to bear, like turning the Javits Center into a hospital and bringing the the USN Comfort. Uh, You know, we were told we were going to run out of ventilators. We we didn't run out of ventilators. We now have made so many that we're shipping them off um, around the world. Now the question is, when do you reopen? Mm -hmm. And unless you're waiting for a vaccine, you're going to reopen at a time when there is danger of the coronavirus. The problem with waiting another week or another month or another four months is that there are a lot of small businesses and a lot of people who are going under right now and really can't wait that long. Uh, And that is Dave Marcus, who wrote the cover uh, of the New York Post yesterday. He is from The Federalist, but he wrote the cover just saying we were told it's a month and now it's three months. First, we were told 10 days and now it's been two and a half months and maybe even more. And a lot of small businesses just can't reopen. And it's just so haphazard. If you're in Target, no problem. If you're in Costco, no problem. Uh, If you're in Home Depot, congratulations. Lowe's as well. If you run a nursery, it's okay, but you can't have a flower shop. Oh, a dentist? Only in case of emergency. Does that make sense? Uh, Joining us now is Lou Breslow. What I'm saying to him right now out loud is he's been 
saying to himself and to anyone who will listen because he's experienced a massive amount of frustration. He owns two Crunch Fitness franchises, uh, one in Amityville, New York, and one in Belmore, New York. Lou, uh, how difficult has this period been for you and your companies? Uh, well, Brian, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. And we actually have three locations. We do have one in West Babylon. I don't want to slight them at all there. Oh, um, you're right. I forgot about that. <laughs> That's okay. That was our first. We actually opened that a little over six years ago. Um, the frustration, Brian, has been enormous. Uh, from At the beginning, we were first told we had to restrict our capacity of people in the gym. Uh, we adhered to that. Uh, we had uh, started figuring out ways of, of setting up social distancing. We did everything we needed to do in our gym, and we were forced to close on March 16. Uh, since that time, uh, we have uh, no members obviously allowed in our gym. Uh, our family is, uh, and our employees are suffering greatly at this time. Uh, we have no idea when we're going to be able to open again, and I think that's part of the most frustrating um, thing about this whole thing is that we have no idea when we're going to be allowed to open again. And, and, and do you feel as though you're ready? If given the opportunity, you feel as though you're ready. Brian, we could open today. We have put so many protocols, calls in place at this time. Uh, we've got decals on the floor that will uh, promote social distancing. We've got signage up to show people where to stand and where to be placed. We've got decals on our floors in our classroom so that there is proper social distancing about six to seven feet to even eight feet apart for some of our classes. Uh, our spin rooms, we, we have bikes set apart so they are six to seven feet apart. Uh, we've done uh, everything we can. We have more um, disinfectant wipes in our gyms. We've got um, yeah, hand sanitizers everywhere. Uh, we've got gloves and masks for all of our staff uh, members. Uh, we've done uh, everything we can. We have somebody hired just to stand at the door to tally the people coming and going from the gym to make sure that we maintain the capacity that our government asks us to, to hold on to uh, based on the size of our gym. So I'm not sure what else we can do, but uh, we've invested a great amount of time, energy, um, and resources uh, to be ready, and we are ready now. So you're ready, but you're not in phase one in New York. And yet, if you look at the numbers, they're extraordinarily low. We don't want too many. I get it. But we have to learn to live with this. We can't wait to eradicate this. Lou, uh, in the big picture, there was a system set up to help you aid. For example, the small business loans and the PPP program. What have you, uh, what have you applied for? What have you gotten? Uh, we did apply for the PPP loan. Um, we, were, we were told uh, you, you've got to get into the program now because if you don't, you're going to get locked out of it. So we put in for it very early on. Uh, I was excited about that because I saw it as, as not a loan, but it looked like it could be forgivable if everything was done uh, by formula. We applied for it, we got the loan, and then I was told I had to start immediately um, uh, paying my employees and hiring them back. And it didn't make sense to me because we're not open. So uh, without being open, I still hired back my employees, did the right thing. I've been paying them now, and most of them are at home being paid. Um, and uh, we're going to run out of money on June 22nd. And if we're in phase four, which we assume we are based on our governance plan, um, I, I don't think we're going to be open until sometime in late July, maybe even August. Um, so uh, That's ridiculous. I, everyone's going to have to go back on unemployment. 
Yeah, of course. And by the way, if you just have, and they want you to take 75% of the money towards uh, uh, people. And you don't, a lot of people don't want to come back. They're making more money without you, number one. Number two, maybe they're part-time. And number three is you have to pay your rent because your landlords still want the money. And even if they delay it, it doesn't mean you still don't owe it. That's, that's true, Brian. And, and a majority of our um, employees are part-time. Um, many of them did choose to stay on unemployment at this moment. Uh, they're, they're not motivated to come back. Uh, that has been uh, a hardship for us. We don't know how we fit into this formula to, for the loan to be forgivable uh, because our rent is, is more like 50 or 60 percent of our payroll. So it, it definitely, that formula is not going to work for us. And it's frustrating because although this plan was, was uh, uh, well-intentioned, um, it, it's just not working. The formula is not working for us. We have very, very high expenses outside of payroll. And if this loan is not forgivable and we have to pay this back in 18 to 24 months on top of uh, all of our regular expenses, uh, I'm not sure how we're going to be able to do that. And, Lou, you're not just speaking for Lou of Crunch Fitness. You're speaking with gyms everywhere. I mean, you don't have a unique situation, unfortunately. The, the formula doesn't work. Keeping gyms out without giving gym owners the chance to make it safe is just un-American. Couldn't agree more, Brian. I go to the supermarket. I go to Ace Hardware. I go to Rite Aid. Uh, there are people walking around very, very difficult to, to maintain social distancing in those places. Meanwhile, in a controlled gym environment, I believe it's, it's um, very, actually very easy to do so, not to mention keeping it in a very healthy and safe environment, which we've always maintained anyway. So I, I do feel very frustrated by that. I think many, many of our members who ask us every day, please, when are you opening again? We need to get back to the gym. They feel our business is an essential business. So I'm not sure how it can be looked at any other way. You need to be physically fit and mentally fit in order to maintain a healthy immune system. So I'm really not sure why we can't be looked at as an essential business and open tomorrow. Great point. And hopefully they're going to make some changes to that program. But more importantly, let you work for a living. How about that? Lou Breslau, thanks so much. Best of luck with your West Babylon, Belmore, and Amityville locations. Thanks for sharing your story, Lou. It's a pleasure, Brian. Thank you for having me on. You got it. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's going to be a great hour. How do I know? Because uh, you're there, and I appreciate that. Dr. Drew always makes sense and brings a bit of normalcy to the most abnormal time in Earth history, as far as I know, in my history, and from what uh, Earth has left behind. And I'm talking about even outside the dinosaurs, which I really don't know what happened there. No one wrote anything down. This is the craziest time, at least in our lifetime, where the whole world's suffering from the same thing, thanks to one country. 1-866-408-7669. I'll get to Dr. Drew and Michael Loftus. Michael Loftus, outstanding comedian. You've heard him before. He's as good as it gets. And, uh, I mean, he's one of these guys that comedians 
uh, look for uh, to check their material with him. He's a big writer, Kevin James, uh, for Kevin James and others. Mike Loftus is going back in front of, in Texas, of course. He's going back in front of crowds. And he's doing stand-up again. I just want to know what that's like, what it's been like from the creative process. Because there's so many different facets to this story. Today, uh, one of the big success stories has been Georgia. Their governor will be meeting with the vice president today. And I found out, looking at a study, Memorial Day, which is usually dominating with barbecues, they say just six of ten families will be barbecuing for these next three days as we think about those who lost their lives fighting for our country. So before I keep Dr. Drew waiting any longer because he charges me by the minute, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Unfortunately, the Chinese Communist Party has decided that there's too much freedom in Hong Kong. They don't want to allow them to have their way of life. If China moves forward and takes strong action uh, under this new national security law against the people of Hong Kong, uh, America will respond. Unbelievable. They're tightening the noose at Hong Kong at a time in which their economy shrinking and the world's been poisoned. China and the U.S. Another way to up the pressure on China as they begin to strangle Hong Kong. How about kissing up to, protecting, and selling weapons to Taiwan? We're doing it while the other belligerents, while their belligerents around the globe continues. Number two. Voters trust two different candidates on the two biggest issues of the day. Trust to do a better job on the economy. Voters like Trump. Trust to do a better job handling COVID-19. Voters like Biden, according to a new Fox News poll. It is, and he's winning nationally on nine points. New polls show Biden on top of Trump everywhere except the economy. What does that tell you months away from the election? And the VP sweepstakes, I'll update you. Number one. You have a lot of, uh, unfortunately, in this case, Democrat governors. I think they think it's good politics to keep it closed. They're uh, hurting themselves. They're hurting their state. I think they're being forced to open, frankly. The people want to get out. You'll break the country if you don't. Uh, He's 100% right. Resurgence. That's what we're seeing in 21 separate states today as every every all 50 states have opened to a degree. But now 21 more are open up further. Uh, We'll take a look at that and why New York is taking forever. New Jersey and these Democratic governors seem to have an interest in not restarting the national economy. We'll take a look at that. And with me right now is someone named Dr. Drew who needs no introduction. He is a very successful talk show host on his own and podcaster with a guy named Adam Carolla, who's as funny as anybody on the planet. And he's a board certified internist and addiction medicine specialist. Dr. Drew, welcome back. I miss talking to you. I know, Brian. I'd love to see you there in person one of these days soon. I hope so. I mean, we're supposed to be back in studio. We're still in New York. Um, I'm in a, a, a studio closer to my house, I guess. Um, till the New York City can make it uh, make it easier to get in there. Dr. Drew, first off, there's a counter narrative the president talked about right away. If you are not, if you're sheltering at home, you're safe. But, you know, you're safe from the virus and you're safe from all other dangers. But it's not. They're noticing in Northern California, uh, the suicide rate is going up. They notice in Tennessee the same thing. Uh, the addiction, your addiction expert, when people's livelihoods have stopped, when they're sheltered at home, uh, there's a there's a price to pay for that, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. And and any of these interventions that are undertaken have a risk reward analysis attached to it. And right now, I am telling you, we are seeing a very serious mental health uptick. California is as locked down as New York, and for no good reason. I'll discuss that in a minute. But we are seeing particularly 8 to 13, 14, 15-year-olds expressing high degrees of anxiety and depression. 
if you continue to stress these young people out, we are going to sacrifice an entire generation. They need their lives back. In addition, we're seeing a massive uptick, uptick in alcohol consumption. Uh, one of the interesting sort of side effects of all this is that the gangs stayed indoors for fear of catching the COVID, which made the distribution of illicit drugs more difficult. And all the meth addicts have switched to alcohol. So the streets of Los Angeles are strewn with alcohol bottles now. So when this settles, we are going to see a real serious problem with alcoholism. Now, at, at what cost is what you're asking? And what, what is the risk reward here? You need to know your history a little bit to really fully appreciate what's going on here. So, for instance, uh, China did very large-scale studies on thousands of cases, and they found that about 70% of the time, COVID was transmitted in the home. So if you stayed home indoors, you were more likely to get this. 30% was in transportation environments like trains, uh, subway, or elevator. Out of several thousand cases, and the average outbreak was three to five transmissions indoors, out of several thousand transmissions, only one was out of doors. So there's some evidence that sheltering in place, so-called, hmm, I wonder if that's the right thing. Then you mentioned Georgia. Well, Georgia picked exactly the wrong time to open up. They were actually increasing their cases. So if there was a measurable difference between shelter in place and social distancing with mask wearing, we should have seen that in Georgia. Instead, the caseload started dropping. So now it's important to know your history. Do you know, Brian, that the idea of quarantining a healthy population has never been done before in human history? It's an idea that developed in 2006 as a result of a 14-year-old young lady's high school science project. Are you aware of this? No. So in 2006, the New York Times did a good article on this. A young woman in Albuquerque did a science project where she showed that influenza-type illnesses, which is primarily transmitted by children, unlike COVID, which is primarily transmitted, as you know, in the elderly, could be the influenza outbreaks could be diminished by closing down schools. She had a good model for that. Her dad, who was a computer model, picked it, modeler, picked it up, published a paper where he put her as the number two author, where they suggested that wide scale, but, but not universal lockdowns could be beneficial when you didn't have therapeutic interventions otherwise. The Bush administration adopted this as policy. Never, ever did anybody imagine it would be a universal lockdown. No one ever really had done anything like this before, and there is no evidence that it's superior to just social distancing and wearing a mask. And again, Georgia is evidence that it's the same. Isn't that interesting? It's fascinating. Um, like As usual, everything you say is new. I'm like learning stuff. That's why you, I'm surprised you don't charge me at the end of your segments because <laughs> I'm always learning stuff with you. Uh, you also pointed out, too, as we search for therapies uh, that might be effective as a way for a vaccine, you found out something with cannabis enzymes, correct? You must be looking at a tweet I put out last night. I, somebody put out an interesting, I listen, I just retweet interesting stuff. And my, my point is, that science needs to keep moving forward and we, we need to look at the science and particularly as it pertains to therapeutics but you know uh, the whole term the whole the whole topic of science is uh, become a shield behind which the governors are hiding going hey i'm just following the science i've just explained to you there is no science of lockdown this, there isn't we don't have that science so it's all models conject conjecture theory 
This isn't science. This is not science. And we are relying on public health experts, some of whom aren't physicians and aren't used to making risk-reward analyses. And as we open this conversation, we are having much more serious, you know, obviously everyone's aware of the economic issues, but other medical issues, people not getting, getting to the hospital, people not getting their elective surgeries, and now the mental health crisis that looms ahead, these things have to be measured against any interventions we take for the virus. Yeah, Dr. Drew, there's a couple of things. I want you to hear from this guy, Dr. Mike DeBlois Blanco. He was with on KGO on ABC7 there. Uh, he's with the John Muir Medical Center in the Walnut Creek, California, such a huge state. Listen to what he said about what's happening now. Cut 12. The numbers that we've seen are sort of unprecedented. We've never seen numbers like this in such a short period of time. I mean, we've seen a year's worth of of suicide attempts uh, in the last four weeks. I think mental health is definitely suffering, uh, and we have we have unfortunately the data to prove it. Um, you know, it, it's definitely had an effect. Personally, I think it's time. Yeah, I don't know about you, but it, it, I'm depressed. I'm feeling depressed. I, I I've been dysphoric this whole time. Humans need to have a future. They need to be able to plan and move forward. Uh, and, and it's not healthy for them to have their lives taken away from them. And, and again, I'm telling you that what I'm seeing and what the parents are telling me, the population that's having the most serious reaction are the late childhood and early adolescents. They are really, really in trouble. I hear you, Dr. Drew, and I 100% agree. That's why it's so important to get the kids back to school. The remote learning for third and fourth graders is a joke. If parents, even if talent teachers, parents happen to be teachers, it's problematic. To think they're going to sit in front of a computer screen. And I'm hearing our mayor in New York City saying, I'm not sure we're going to go back to school in the fall. You better go back to school in the fall. You have five months to make it work. Make it work. Where's that American attitude? Find a way to, to, to live with it. Don't wait for some scientists you don't know to uh, cure it. Well, you know, again, back to science and therapeutics. I mean, I, I'm, I'm hearing very good things about the uh, vaccine. And I, I treated a, a bunch of COVID patients and I've been interacting with my peers that are also active in the ICU. So I see what's going on therapeutically. And, and it's exactly what I expected of the American healthcare system. We are not Italy. We were never going to be Italy. And we've adjusted, we have flexed, we have innovated, and we, we're getting this thing. And we're gonna have very good therapeutics soon. But I, I gotta tell you something, Brian, there's this, this whole thing about, what upset me from the beginning, way back in February, is I saw this panic porn that the press was creating, and now it has evolved into this bizarre entitlement on both part of politicians and the press to be practicing medicine. There's a, there's a chemical that I've been using for 30 years. Um, I've used it for literally, I can't even count how many patient years, because my patients would be on it for years at a time. Once a year would have them see an ophthalmologist because there's a risk of uh, corneal deposits and a retinal issue, which we never saw. I never saw a single side effect out of literally, I, I don't even know how many times I prescribed it, both for malaria prophylaxis and for lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. I can't say that of Tylenol or aspirin. I've seen disasters from Tylenol and aspirin. I've never seen Plaquenil, you now know it as hydroxychloroquine, have a side effect. And this is a chemical that the talk show hosts and the press just learned how to pronounce two weeks ago. And now they're experts and telling us how to use it as Unbelievable. physicians. Unbelievable. You're most, 100% it is the right. Most, it is the most 
offensive, offensive move I've ever seen. They're intervening, literally telling physicians how to practice. And I assure you, they're using a lot of it. They're using it prophylactically. They're taking it themselves. I have prescribed it myself in mild cases. Yes, we understand the FDA guidelines. The FDA does not practice medicine. They do not tell us how to practice medicine. They give us guidelines. We use off-label uh, products all the time. And the reason we use this one is that we don't have much else to offer. And we have decades of experience with this one with no adverse events. And by the way, the only guideline for the FDA was from the more severely ill COVID patients, where we are should be showing some restraint in using it. We have other options. We shouldn't be using it there. I agree with that. But in the mild cases, in prophylaxis, we don't know. And so my peers are using it like crazy, and the press has no business even commenting on this. They should have no business in the practice of medicine. And that has been the problem from the beginning. They have dictated what we, the medical profession, are doing. I've said this from the beginning. Listen to Dr. Fauci. Listen to Dr. Burks. I've been around them for decades. They know what they're doing. They will get us through this. That's it. That's well, our doc- Well, Dr. Doc- well, Dr. Burks, by the way, was the one who recommended to the president, you got to shut the country down. You have no choice. Well, I, that, that's, listen, oh, I, I, you've not heard me run in, ring an opinion about that yet. I, in the fog of war of all this, I, I just understand our leaders were in all of them. The governors, the federal government, they were in very difficult situations and an uncertain situation. And remember, we don't know that shutdown is better, but I've talked to a lot of the leaders, and they all did not believe that people would practice social distancing and mask wearing. So they felt the only way to get compliance was to do a complete shutdown. Okay, they were in a really tough situation. I am not gonna judge what the decisions they made. Who, I mean, that was the fog of war. These were very difficult decisions. When Governor Newsom here in California decided to shut down early, I felt it was excessive, but I also felt it was my civic duty to to go along beside him and support him. But now, now it's a very different situation, and it is time to Absolutely. be more judicious in our judgment and in our extreme calls, and let's start, let's start lifting and chasing and quarantining and containing the way we've always done through human history. That's how we've always dealt with infectious diseases. And, and don't destroy my business that I built, spent my whole life building up because you feel as though a gym is not as important as a, uh, as a nursery. Uh, and I'm talking well, about don't, a landscaping and don't, nursery. Don't cause, and don't cause a second wave or third wave Thank of you. medical consequences with, the, with brain disorders and mental health issues. Dr. Drew, thanks so much. I, lo- I look forward right. to talking to you again. Stay safe. Yeah. Um, right, you you got it. When we come back, we'll take some phone calls. one 866 Brian Kilmeade Show. It's all about you next. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. I want to get some calls now. Let's go out to uh, let's go out to uh, Brant in St. Louis. Hey, Brant, you're not listening to 97.1. Hello, sir. You know, Rick Perry has to be shaking his head right about now. He forgot his third point in that presidential debate. But we yes. can give Joe Biden a pass 
Have you thought about that? I know. It's unbelievable. Every day he has a Rick Perry moment, and no one even criticizes him. Mm-hmm. So I want you, did you guys hear what he said before? Let's roll that clip on what he said. He was on The Breakfast Club uh, on an urban morning show, which has really made a good name for itself. Tell me if um, this offends you or you think this is right on the money. Black people saved your political life in the primaries this year. They have things they want from you. And one of them is a black woman running mate. What, what do you say to them? What I say to them is that I'm not acknowledging anybody who is being considered, but I guarantee you there are multiple black women being considered. Multiple. Well, you know, Thanks so the- much. That's really our time. I apologize. You can't do that to black media. I can't do that to white media and black media because my wife has to go on at 6 o'clock. Okay. Oh, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. I a, will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions. You got more okay. questions. But I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. So how's that? Brand, you have a problem with that? My goodness. My goodness, uh, he really, he steps in it every time, doesn't he? It's every day, every day from his basement. Can you imagine when he goes in un- more unscripted situations in, live, in front of live audiences? Uh, we'll see. But right now, the polls say he's winning ha- uh, handsomely. Uh, back in a moment, uh, we'll be taking more of your calls. one 408 Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You're going to hear there's a pond on the other side of my property here. A lot of Canadian geese. If you hear them honking away, it's they're cheering. That's what they're about. Scale. Scale of the loss. Staggering. I don't know whose phone that is, but the scale of the loss is staggering. It's been two months since Congress gave them that money. That is uh, Joe Biden, one of the many gaps that's keep to happening in a controlled environment in his basement, garage, or living room. He has not left, and he still can't get a sentence out. Or we don't even know why he's running. We just know that he's with the Democrats are putting forward because they despise Donald Trump. Meanwhile, if that wasn't odd enough, how about the fact that we're in a global pandemic? Here's uh, joining me now is someone who did not predict this. I asked him over and over again, will there be a pandemic? He always said no, and he was wrong. His name is Michael Loftus, comedian, founder of the Loftus Party, and he has the courage to go to Texas and do what you're paid to do, be a stand-up comic. Hi, Michael. Hey, good morning. How you doing? I got a, I got a bunch of uh, World War II planes flying over right now all of a sudden. They know I'm in town. It must be some kind of tribute. Well, that's true, but I don't think it's for you. I th- you know, Michael, no offense, but uh, it is Memorial Day. I mean, Memorial Day weekend. Okay, okay, go ahead, go ahead and take the air out of my balloon. Take the air out of my balloon. Right. I was having a nice morning. Well, well listen, I, before I talk about it, I'm so excited that you're going back doing stand-up. I have not heard, I talked to Chris Mazzilli of uh, Gotham Comedy Club in New York City. They're not going back. You found a state that wants to laugh and has a little bit of freedom, 
in Texas. But first, can you comment on Joe Biden and what you've seen coming out of that basement, like what you just heard? I, I'm still I'm still in shock. Like his latest one today, he t- he told um, uh, that African American gentleman that if you can't decide whether you want to vote for Trump or me, you ain't black. And like, come on, come on. Can you even imagine the reverse of that? Could you imagine if Donald Trump would have told a white voter, listen, if you can't decide between me and Joe Biden, you ain't white. Like, there's no <laughs> way. How is he still how is he still in the race? Like, it's it's uh, it, it's beyond me. I don't believe any of the polls. He's been in government for for over like, what, 40 years going on 50 years. Yes. He hasn't done anything wreck. but embarrass himself. <laughs> like, like when you right. need a president who understands business and how to get the economy going, like, how is it? How are you even thinking about voting for Joe Biden? Good Lord. So oh, we can have so a Simone Sanders. <laughs> oh, so Simone Sanders, Michael. Yeah, she she's uh, she's black and she she is uh, working for the uh, Biden campaign. She says this. Vice President Biden has spent his career fighting alongside and for African-American community. He won his party's nomination by earning every vote and meeting people where they are and what exactly what he intends to do. Okay, that wasn't really an answer. Here's uh, this is right. Vice President Biden. Yeah, he said the comments made at the end of the Breakfast Club interview were in jest. Come on. Are you kidding? That wasn't in jest. That wasn't a sense of humor. He was yelling it. He gets angry when he's oh. questioned. He is told in three separate times, told people, don't vote for him. I'm pretty sure that's not an effective vote for me campaign. <laughs> Listen, if you if you want an economy that works, if, if you want a strong America, then don't vote for me. If you want a strong military, <laughs> don't vote for me. If you want to take China seriously as a threat, don't vote for me. <laughs> I, and listen, I can't believe any. Seriously, I, at this point, I can't believe anybody would even think about putting him in the White House. He can't run a Zoom call. He can't answer Skype. What's he going to do at three o'clock in the morning when he's startled? I mean, come on. When he's startled. <laughs> All right. So uh, I want you to hear Joe Biden describe why he makes mistakes. Let's listen. People will say occasionally, and I'm tired, I'm going to go, I'll say, um, uh, uh, and I'll find myself searching for a second. Look, the mistakes I make are mistakes. Yeah, am I supposed to talk now? I was waiting for the end of that. Do you feel better now oh that you explain why he makes mistakes? It's <laughs> yeah. Thanks for clearing that up. Listen, the mistakes I make, they're mistakes. I want to be able to say that to my wife. I want to be able to say that. <laughs> ah, like, ah. All of all of these Joe Biden gaffes, they should be be like in a handbook for married men. Like, <laughs> like if you if you believe if you believe I'm cheating on you, then I guess we ain't married. If you right. <laughs> The mistakes I make are, the mis- are my mistakes. Listen, if you hear someone in the driveway at two o'clock in the morning, that's a Canadian geese. That's that's what that is. That's it's 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 sad at this point. Like, stop putting him through this. He's not. He's obviously well, not up to the task. I, I seriously, sometimes I feel guilty. I was railing on him 
last night on stage. And then I'm like, oh, it's like making fun of your grandpa, you know, when he spills pudding on his shirt. You're like, we shouldn't. Uh, No, Michael, I hear you. I hear you. I have nothing against him, but there's too much at stake. And yet he has a 17-point advantage over the president when who do you trust with the economy? He's got a nine-point national lead. And who do you trust more to run the pandemic, uh, to get us through the pandemic? He's got a, a, another nine-point lead on the president. The president only leads going to this uh, Fox News poll on the economy. So here's what he said, why he's more equipped and why his ratings are so high. This is what he does to get ready to fight the pandemic. I'm not, and I, I have a, I have a, uh, like all of you, but every day I have between an hour and an hour and a half a brief with um, uh, the former head of uh, our former Surgeon General. Anyway, with docs across the country. Feel better about him? He's got the pandemic. He's got him right where he's got the pandemic right where he wants it. What, seriously, why is he wasting his time talking to the press? Why isn't he working in his laboratory on a cure? Obviously, he could have <laughs> one. <laughs> like He's if, a brilliant man. He's some kind of super genius. We'll put it this way. Uh, if he does find a cure, he won't know what to call it. Uh, he'd go, I got this thing in a beaker. I Whatever. <laughs> Just pour it in or stick it in my arm. So, Michael, I want to talk about what you're doing uh, people need to laugh at this. You told me something, and I've been, I've been cr- fully crediting you. You say all your friends, you, you live in Los Angeles, but you're now you're working in New York. Uh, you yeah. know, so many stand-up comedians are doing this forever. Every, all the comedians, are the, you're like one of the comedians that the other comedians respect and go to. And you say that this is going to be a creative boom. What do you mean by that? This whole period of downtime that we've never experienced before. You really think that people oh. are using this time to be creative? <clears throat> Uh, yeah, I think I think if you're in the uh, entertainment industry, if you if you've been used to doing shows, if you have a great YouTube channel like mine, the Loftus Party, then you're you're pushing the envelope. You have you have more time alone with your thoughts. I mean, if, if you look, if you consider like you know Shakespeare supposedly wrote all those plays when he was in quarantine. Yeah, you have people. A lot of people fill up their days with uh, mindless BS. And a lot of people now who are in lockdown, you're, you're really thinking about stuff. But I think in the next couple months, man, there's going to be some great scripts uh, floating around Hollywood. I know I wrote, I wrote a film script that's uh, currently being looked at, and I'm excited about that. I, I, I think that there, yeah, there's going to be some really good stuff in the next four or five months, a huge wave of uh, creativity. So uh, I watched you. I also watched some of the skits you shot with Kevin James. And I know you've told me in the past that you think Kevin James is overrated. And you didn't want me to say it publicly. Uh, maybe I regret that. Ah. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Uh, I'm only no, kidding. No, probably probably got really again. worried. Put that in the loop. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no, but it's really funny stuff that you guys are doing because you're just having fun again, right? Rather than it's been less of a job, you, you almost like back to your roots on why, uh, why you got in this business to begin with. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a there's a lot of that, and then and then through the isolation, you're not you're not worried about like you're not watching what the other guy's doing. You're really thinking about okay, what's funny to me? What do I like? And I tell you, Kevin, man, uh, Kevin James, his YouTube channel is blowing up. He's doing some seriously 
like short films. They're gorgeous. They're 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 legit mini movies, uh, and I just couldn't be happier. And I think that thing's going on across the spectrum uh, with everybody. You know, people are picking up musical instruments. People are writing. People are making videos, uh, and then hopefully. Uh, people are scratching their heads and going, why aren't I working? Why aren't I putting my, why is my business open again? So, so now you're in Texas. I did not know comedy clubs were open. You're immediately booked. You're there uh, May 21st to May 24th. Uh, you're at the Improv in Addison, Texas. Are, are they filling yeah. up the place? Are they allowed to? Or is it every other table? What, what are they doing? They're they're trying to they're trying to be very cool about it. They got a capacity of about uh, about 250 people. So last night we only sold uh, 75 tickets. We only made 75 tickets available, so that the pe- the patrons are spaced out. Their temperature is taken before they come come in. If they want to wear a mask, a mask is made available. And then uh, you know beyond that, you know in the in the silverware they got disposable silverware for the food. But beyond that, it was just like a regular night at a comedy club. And, man, we had 75 people. We could have sold a lot more tickets. We could have sold a lot more tickets. And they were ready to go. They have had it up to here. And I just don't think the rest of the country knows. I think, once again, like people are isolated. And they're, and they're like, ah, well, maybe it's better if I wait. Maybe it's better if I wait. And people just have to just, just start. Just go. Open your business. But you know. Take precautions. But. but- uh, I, I listen. I'm I'm for this. Should have been opened up a long time ago. So I, I'm pretty clear on that. But I'm surprised that almost every Gallup poll, 55 percent of the people think we're going too fast in opening up the country. I haven't met those people. Um, have you? I mean, do you think that we've become a country that is so uh, so afraid of everything that we're just afraid to take risks all of a sudden? Yeah, yeah. You've got this super pampered generation. You got the kids who grew up with all that self-esteem and they got the medal just for participating and they're scared of their own shadow. They think the world revolves around them. They're all over Twitter. They're all over Facebook. They're all over social media. And they're the loudest right now. They are the loudest and they're the most selfish people I've ever seen on the planet. Like they want to tell everyone else, oh, don't work. Don't work. You're going to kill us all. You're going to kill us all. Meanwhile, they're sitting in their houses and their apartments uh, talking about how bored they are and making the uh, Amazon driver deliver them little trinkets to amuse them. Look at this crazy thing <laughs> I bought off Amazon. Hey, if it's that dangerous, why do you want to kill the Amazon guy? They're just like the emperors right, of Rome. Oh, true. bring me the fuzzy slippers. They amuse me. So wait, are you trying to kill the Amazon guy to amuse you? And 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 none of this holds up under logic. It really doesn't. The if the grocery store is safe, it's safe to vote. You know, if it's if, so, if it's safe to go pick up your medicine Queen, at Rite Aid, it's safe absolutely. to open your business. So Michael, where does and, and just a mechanical question: How much of your stuff is pandemic related? How much do you think people want to forget? I mean, you look out in the audience, they're wearing masks. You're usually trying to pick up little nuances anyway, and you're seeing this. So in your, in your head, are you trying to get off the pandemic or are you trying to talk about it? I did, I did like my standard opening last night. You know, hey, it's good to be in Texas, bye-bye. And guess what? Like, hardly any masks. Hardly any masks. These people are just beautiful, and I love them. And then, of course, I'm like, well, let's talk about the 900-pound gorilla in the room. 
and then I, you know, I got I got a good solid ten minutes of uh, pandemic stuff, and then I just go back to normal. You know, I address it, I make some fun at it. You know, I talk about what, the way the media is so mad at Trump, like they're blaming him. How come we weren't ready? How come we weren't ready for tests? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wasn't good to go with 360 million tests for a completely unique virus of which there's millions of variations. I dropped the ball. Sorry about that. That is awesome. That, I mean, let's think about that. You knew it happened in 1918. Why weren't you expecting it in 2020? I mean, come on. Right? It was right in front of you. And the, yeah. and the variations yeah, you knew are just millions and millions. How are you not ready? And wouldn't it have helped if the people that started the virus told us about it? And it's, you know, it's this simple virus. You know, the one that comes from bats in a wet market. Really? They're selling bats? What are you talking about? They're eating or selling bats? What's odder? I got a bat. I can't wait to cash in on this. (laughs) I I do a bit like, hey, yeah, like the Chinese floated that story. You know, they didn't want to talk about the lab in Wuhan where they're experimenting with this. They're like, holy crap. We got to tell them something. Uh, bat soup. Bat soup. <laughs> they'll never believe bat soup. Just try it. We got nothing else. Holy crap, they right. bought it. Yeah, yeah, it was bat soup. That's what it was. Michael, I can't wait to see you in person, maybe at Governor's or somewhere in the area. If I'm allowed to walk in one at a time in a full, I, I guess, hazmat suit, I don't know how you'll recognize me, but just know I'll be there if you ever return. <laughs> but if I was in Texas, I would not be coming back. Oh, dude, I got I got a haircut. This state is doing it right. You can go out. <laughs> you got a haircut? Dude, wow. I did. I I went to I went to a little barber shop. I'm like, "Does anybody know you're open?" The guy's like, "Nope." I'm like, "How long you been open?" He's like, "About a month." I'm like, "I love you." I got a I got a great haircut for $15. Texas is uh Texas is winning my heart. Right, and you still look sexy. I saw you on camera. Michael Loftus, thanks so much. Uh, I know, I know. You're just being honest. Uh, you're going to be there in Texas at the Improv in Addison. So go and check. If you were the first 75 people, you'll get to see Michael Loftus. Thanks, Mike. There you go. Hey, thank you. Have a good at weekend. The, Happy Memorial Day. Back at you. At the Loftus party. Back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. We're 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 it's a, we're in the middle of a pandemic that had cost us more than eighty five thousand jobs as of today. Lives of millions of people, millions of people, millions of jobs. What have we learned? What have, what what have we learned? Is I I found it both stunning and heartbreaking. What you know? Uh, um, what's whomever, what are the things that people are most concerned about? What are you hearing the most? I mean, what? Can't even hear it anymore. Guy, did you hear what he said? We lost 85,000 jobs. That's called a very good job day. Uh, number two, he makes absolutely no sense talking about the most important thing that happened in all our lifetimes. Good luck with that. Jane, you listen on WABC in New Jersey. Jane, real quick, you're offended by the explanation hey, of what he said, Right. Now, I was offended by a caller that called in because when Trump was elected, they said that all his supporters and, and people who voted for him are racist and xenophobic. Yet he admitted on your radio station that it's despicable that a woman has not been elected 
uh, as president, but the criteria, according to him, was that it has to be a woman of color. So if that's the criteria going forward of the Democrat Party and the Democrat mindset that you have to be a, a person of color in or, order to get support from the minority community. That's not saying much for our, our uh, voting system and, and what's in their minds. I I'm offended it. by that. Thanks, Jane. Appreciate it. Hey, go get Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers on BrianKillMe.com or order on Amazon. Have a great day, everybody. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.